Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, nearly two years into the pandemic, the spread of the Omicron variant has again thrust schools into crisis or near crisis. In San Francisco on Thursday, school district officials were scrambling to staff classrooms. That's because nearly 900 teachers and aides were out. Either they were sick or they were protesting that not enough is being done to keep them from getting sick. In the East Bay, there was a major district that decided to shut down both Friday and on Monday to try to weather the situation. And in Chicago, public schools were closed Thursday for a second day amid a tense battle between officials and teachers. It's another difficult time for students and a frustrating one for parents. So I asked our education reporter, Jill Tucker, to come back on the show and help us understand what's going on. Jill, how are you? You're busy. (laughs) I think that's an understatement. I I keep thinking that things are going to slow down and then they never do. So this time it's, it's Omicron. And the schools are always on the front lines of some of the biggest issues that we've dealt with in the pandemic, Jill. I do want to start in San Francisco because the issues there in the schools seem to represent some of the tension we're seeing all over the place in places like Chicago and elsewhere. What's going on in San Francisco? Yeah, so, you know, as you said, I think it it is representative. I think that, you know, throughout the entire pandemic, there has been a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty, and a lot of debate, right? A lot of divisiveness over how do you do this education thing uh, in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, it's really unprecedented, and everybody is just you know, in reinventing the wheel all the time. And so, you know, what you have are a lot of people that are, are really prioritizing in-person learning and the education of children based on how uh, difficult distance learning was for a lot of students. Then you have others who are more inclined toward the distance learning, um, really high-end um, safety protocols, things like that. And so what happens is you just have this consistent butting of heads to a certain degree, you know, with district officials and school boards in the middle of it with their own opinions, you know, and and, and whether to follow the health guidance, whether to exceed the health guidance, whether to completely throw it out the window and and boycott the health guidance as in some places across the state. You know, so that's what we're seeing in San Francisco. It, it really um, comes down to how to navigate this pandemic. And right now, the teachers union, as well as a group of teachers, want to see a significant improvement or or increase in testing in the availability of of high quality masks and and other issues like uh, extended sick uh, leave, paid sick leave for those who have uh, COVID-19. So, you know, they're battling in, in the middle of all this. And a lot of times the kids are just sitting in the middle. So what does class look like in San Francisco? What did it look like on Thursday? What's it going to look like on Friday? So right now, 
There are 900 teachers and aides uh, not in school on Thursday. And part of that is because of the sick out. Part of that is because of COVID. Part of that is because teachers and aides have family members with COVID or they're getting tested. We don't really know what the percentage breakdown is, but what we do know is there are over 600 classrooms without their teachers and there are substitutes in about 30% of those. And then a scramble of district officials and others filling in those classrooms to get through the day. There's also a lot of kids that are absent. I've heard rates of 10 to 30%. In some cases, parents are keeping them home because they're worried about Omicron. In other cases, they've been exposed or they're, they have COVID. So it, it really is something of an unprecedented situation, even in an unprecedented pandemic. All right. A few basics. I mean, what are they asking for, Jill? And what does the district have to say? Because a lot of people are frustrated with the state of testing and mass in the in the country. Yeah, I mean, and, and this is happening in San Francisco. Uh, Oakland also has a walkout scheduled for Friday over similar conditions. And essentially, the teachers unions are looking for mitigation efforts, access to testing, other types of things that exceed the county health requirements or guidelines. And in some cases, districts across the country have done that or districts across the Bay Area, you know, where they have put in air filtration systems that are not necessarily required or or other types of testing. In this case, in San Francisco, for example, they want rapid testing available at every school site. Now, as we all know, if you have the sniffles and have tried to get one of those rapid tests, they're just simply not available. And so it, 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 that can be a difficult ask at the moment. Right now, every school in San Francisco, however, does have on-demand PCR testing, self-testing by the students that they send in and they get back in 24 or 48 hours. So there is significant testing in, in the city, but the, but the teachers are looking for more to have it be more immediate if possible. They also, as I said, want N95 masks, which have not been consistently provided. We do have West Contra Costa now requiring N95 masks or KN95 masks uh, for all adults in schools. That exceeds health requirements, but now they're making that an actual requirement for the staff. So really what you're seeing to a certain degree is you have individual teachers unions working with the district to try to get different types of uh, protections and protocols. And then in the very next door district, something else entirely different is happening. And so, you know, really in the 100 Bay Area districts that we have, every district has their own scenarios with either teachers talking about sick outs or different levels of masking requirements, um, whether they're requiring outdoor masking or not, which they are in Oakland, but not in San Francisco. So you just have, you know, I think that that all of that, where every district is creating kind of their own rules or their own situations with their own unions, you're just having sort of this all over the map situation. There is no sort of standard requirement of a minimum slash maximum. So this is what's creating a lot of the division and a lot of the the angst amid this crisis. Okay, you just mentioned different scenarios all over the Bay Area. Is one of those scenarios remote learning? Not a full return to remote learning, no. Um, I have not yet heard of any districts really considering going back to wholesale distance learning. West Contra Costa Unified 
cancel classes Friday and then Monday, just so they could do a deep cleaning, kind of put, have a little reset button in terms of testing and things like that. But they're not going to remote learning. You do have occasionally schools that may go under quarantine or classrooms where the kids will be out for five or 10 days and do remote learning. But a wholesale return to distance learning across the state would require a change to state law. Essentially, districts have to offer in-person learning and the, the waiver for distance learning during the pandemic expired. And so really, there is a requirement to maintain in-person learning. Of course, you know, this pandemic is wily and it throws curveballs and that could change as well. All right. I want to get into with you, Jill, a little bit of the larger, broader debate that's going on about transmission at school and whether we are being too cautious not cautious enough, but first, a quick break on Fifth and Mission. We'll be right back with Jill Tucker. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bullwood, joined by Chronicle education reporter Jill Tucker, Jill, full disclosure, I want to tell you that as we're talking about schools, my kids, my two daughters, did have Omicron. Well, I I don't know if they had Omicron, actually. They had the coronavirus over the break, and it really ruined, um, sort of ruined our our holiday break. But they're done with it. They're back in school. I also got it. I'm done with it. And in some ways, I feel a little lucky because um, we're sort of over the uncertainty and they're back in school. Yeah, and I, I think your personal situation is one that is being repeated by many, 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 many families um, across the region. Omicron is highly, highly contagious. And and it's interesting because I think a lot of us knew some people that had gotten COVID before Omicron. But now, you know, I've lost fingers and toes, you know, to count enough the the number of people that are that I know that have it or have had it recently. And so it's, you know, I think your your story is is part of the equation in all of these questions about what we should do with school because it just seems like everyone is get has gotten it, is getting it, or is going to get it. And uh, you know, and that and I think that's a little scary for people. Right. But that gets into the the emotion. We're again seeing a really tense debate, not just among teachers and district officials, but among everyone talking about how we should approach this. What do we know about the history of transmission at school? Where are people lining up in terms of the the question of caution? We'll start with before Omicron. The transmission at schools was very low. And it was, in general, in California, and especially the Bay Area, it was much lower than in the community at large. And, you know, there are schools, parents that I've spoken to where they said, you know, since the since the beginning of the fall semester, you know, in August, there were no in-school transmissions. There were people who had it, but there was never any contract tracing back to an in-school transmission between adults or kids or 
adults and kids. And, you know, and that's, you know, that's always been the good news, actually, throughout this entire pandemic. The schools that have reopened have consistently showed that the mitigation efforts and just the uh, how uh, children get it, the transmission is very, very low. But Omicron kind of throws in a, a different scenario because we are hearing a lot more kids and we can see the cases of a lot more kids and a lot more vaccinated and boosted people um, like yourself getting COVID-19. And so we don't have, I mean, schools have really been only opened a handful of days. And so we really don't have data yet on what we're seeing in terms of in-school transmission. But I will say, even though we have a variant right now that is much more highly contagious, it does seem to be less of a threat in terms of hospitalization and death for the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. And and as we can see in society, you know, we we are not locked down. We are not, you know, restaurants are still open. You know, there's still shows you can go to or movie theaters and schools are still open. I think that there are a lot of folks who believe even more than restaurants or bars or movie theaters that schools should be the last place to close if we are going to increase our you know, sort of um, efforts to to slow the spread. And uh, because of the really devastating effects of, of distance learning. And right now, society and schools are, are not looking at a complete shutdown again, like we saw in March of 2020. And I think in part, that's because, you know, talking to the experts, we kind of got this virus, at least right now, surrounded with vaccines for all ages, five and up for and boosters for adolescents and adults we have uh pills coming on treatments coming on that that are going to be much more accessible and uh you know you you combine all of these things a a well-vaccinated population with treatments with a better understanding of the virus and now a variant that is more contagious but less deadly i think you know the, the the medical experts are feeling slightly optimistic about this. And they're not recommending that society shut down because we're not seeing increases, significant increases in hospitalization and death. And yet, Jill, we are seeing some indication that not everyone that's out of school, not all the children actually have the coronavirus. Some of them just don't want to get it. And, and it's, but it's very difficult to judge them because they may have vulnerable people at home. They may live with, with uh, older grandparents um, it seems still so individualistic, and we still don't know enough about Omicron that it, it feels like we're back in in kind of this 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 chaotic time where we don't quite know where we're going to be even two weeks from now. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely true. I think that this entire pandemic, we've been through cycles of a lot of uncertainty, a lot of changes, a lot of questions, you know, and and then, you know, two weeks, three weeks, a month later, we get the answers. But of course, we've we've passed it, right? Like, you know, now we're on to the next thing. And so definitely, you know, with 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 the holidays and coming back to school um, with a lot of cases, I would say at this point, I mean, other than during the closure, which was just a completely different scenario, this is probably one of the more complicated times we've seen in the pandemic for schools, just because they're open. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of fear. And all of that is coming out all at the same time. All right. On that note, I do want to go back to San Francisco. Um, we're talking late Thursday. We do expect huge 
amounts of teachers that are out on Friday. Where do we go from here Friday and into next week? What happens next? You know, I'm, I'm really curious to see what the numbers are Friday, because that'll give us some idea whether the absentee rate among teachers and aides goes down again. That'll show that it was likely some of the, you know, the sick out that was causing the the increase, you know, so that'll give us an idea of what we're looking at heading into Monday. But, you know, the reality is this surge is not expected to peak for at least another couple weeks in California and San Francisco. And so it's quite possible that, you know, we could be seeing even more people coming down with it. Um, that's the expectation because we're still going up in the in the cases. And we could have a lot more teachers out. And it could mean that, you know, I when I talked to San Francisco school officials, you know, they basically said they're they're really planning for various scenarios. And and, you know, we may not see closures because of state or health guidance, but we may see some closures just simply because we don't have enough adults to be in the schools. Well, it sounds like this debate is going to be going on, Jill. I do hope that people can vigorously debate it, talk about it, talk about what's best for kids, but perhaps without getting so tense that we forget that some people are really scared. Um, Some people are are still scared of the virus. Others are really scared about the effects on kids being out of school because of perhaps the experience they've had in the last couple of years. People are really coming from a lot of different camps on this. Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, if you sort of dig down with with anybody on any side, I think their heart is in the right place. It it just can be expressed in in various ways that may not necessarily be helpful to the situation. I, I don't know that anger and yelling and criticizing teachers or criticizing parents on either side of the debate you know, is is super helpful. And, you know, because it, it really is a, about the kids, you know, and and keeping their best interests in mind, making sure that they're safe, whether that means having enough adults in the room or met, whether they're wearing their masks inside. But, you know, we still have a long road ahead. And I think everybody is already tired, if not sick from COVID or recovering from COVID. And, you know, I, I think calm, thoughtful, science-based, you know, uh, discussions are, are key. All right, Jill, thank you again for coming on and bringing us up to speed. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. Thanks to my guest today. She's Chronicle education reporter, Jill Tucker. Thanks to King Kaufman for producing this episode. And thank you for listening.